suppose I was surrounded with strong women, strong women who did medicine. My parents, like most Irish parents, embraced the um, importance of education in our lives and how important it was that we understood the privilege of a good education and encouraged us to achieve our potential. So, yeah, from a very early age, that's just what I wanted to do. Hello, I'm Professor Patrick Murray, and I'm delighted to host this third series of the UCD School of Medicine podcast series, MGA Clinical Influencers. No doubt lots of our listeners are familiar with the MGA, the Medical Graduates Association. But for those who aren't, the MGA plays a vital role in keeping you, our School of Medicine graduates, in touch with fellow alumni across Ireland and around the world. As a global and diverse School of Medicine, UCD naturally has been greatly enriched by attracting highly talented clinical academics who graduated from other Irish or international medical schools. They are now highly valued members of our UCD community, and you will hear from them too. The MGA is your organization offering you a lifelong partnership with UCD School of Medicine. During this podcast series, graduates will take us on a trip down memory lane when describing their time at UCD, and on some occasions in other schools of medicine, along with their experiences as junior doctors. They will discuss their clinical and scientific specialty areas, highlights of the challenges that they encountered during their careers, and tell us how they now share their expertise and coach others. On a personal level, they will discuss how they manage a decent work-life balance, I will share books, films and music for us to enjoy and holiday locations to think about. Our interviewees have compelling stories to share that will spark your curiosity about life in general and the clinical specialty they've chosen in particular. I'm Pat Murray, Professor of Clinical Pharmacology at University College Dublin and a consultant physician at the Mater Misericordiae University Hospital, also in Dublin, Ireland. I'm a UCD School of Medicine alumnus from 1988. Following an internship at the Mater Hospital, I completed a residency in internal medicine in Minneapolis, Minnesota in the US. I completed fellowship training programs in nephrology, critical care medicine, and clinical pharmacology at the University of Chicago Hospitals in Chicago, Illinois, also in the US. And I was a faculty member there until I returned to UCD in the matter as the inaugural professor of clinical pharmacology in the School of Medicine in 2008. In 2011, I was appointed associate dean for international affairs at the UCD School of Medicine. I subsequently became dean and head of School of Medicine from December 2012 through June 2018, and I'm currently director of the UCD Clinical Research Centre. In today's podcast, I'm very pleased to be in conversation with Professor Mary Horgan, who is a 1986 UCD medical graduate. Following her clinical training in Ireland, Mary completed a fellowship in infectious diseases at Washington University Medical School in St. Louis in USA, and was appointed assistant professor of medicine there subsequently. She returned to Ireland in 1997 as a consultant in infectious disease in Cork. Professor Horgan was appointed as Dean of the Medical School in UCC in 2013, the first woman to hold that position, and completed a four-year term. She has been a ministerial appointment in several health service-related national boards, including the HPRA and the Irish Blood Transfusion Service. She was appointed Chair of the National Research Ethics Committee on COVID-19, and is a chair of the COVID-19 Rapid Testing Group and a member of the group reporting on the strategy for the whole genomic sequencing of variants. She's on the GAA's Advisory Committee on COVID-19 and worked with World Rugby on the Return to Play strategy. She's Director of Education at the European Society of Clinical Microbiology and Infectious Diseases. Professor Horgan is a world-renowned expert in infectious disease, and she was awarded the UCD Alumni Award in 2019. 
During her career, Professor Horgan has become a national and international leader in medical education and training in infectious disease and public health, and has spearheaded education and scientific education in Ireland. Professor Horgan was elected President of the Royal College of Physicians of Ireland, the first woman to hold this position since the College's foundation in 1654. She is also the first President to be re-elected for a second term in over a century. Finally, Mary will return to her alma mater as UCD Professor of Infectious Disease at the Matter Hospital. Welcome to the podcast, Mary. Thanks, Pat. Thanks so much for coming to do this today. Um, we'll start off easy. Maybe take us back to the beginning about how you decided to become a doctor and uh, anything that weighed into your decision. Yeah, I decided early on. I think I was still in primary school when I made the decision. Um, my grandfather was a GP in Rathdowney. There was eight children, he and my grandmother. And of the eight children, six of them did medicine. So one of my uncles and my five aunts all did medicine, all UCD graduates, even though my grandfather was a Galway graduate. So, you know, I suppose I was surrounded with strong women, strong women who did medicine. My parents really, like most Irish parents, embraced the importance of education in our lives and how important it was that we understood the privilege of a good education and encouraged us to achieve our potential. So, yeah, from a very early age... That's just what I wanted to do. And if I recall correctly, you were also very young going into medical school, isn't that right? Yeah. So my father encouraged me to do my matric back in the day in fifth year. Um, I did it and I got enough points. So I'm one of those people who doesn't have a leaving cert. I ended up coming to UCD. I just turned 17 and my brother had done the leaving cert, so my brother Tim, who's an ophthalmologist down in Kerry, we both ended up in the same class in 1980, um, Belfield first, and then, of course, Earlsford Terrace. Was he your guardian for a year or two? Not too sure who looked after who. <laughs> so uh, you mentioned uh, starting off in Belfield, right? Uh, you were in that era? Yeah, I stayed in Ranla. I ended up being in uh, digs, I would say very fancy digs there um, on Northbrook Road. And I stayed there for the duration of college. So the first year pre-med, the bike out, the hill up by Ashton's there into the back of Klonski, into the science building where we had most of our classes at the time. It's still there. And I still remember Evelyn Cusack being our physics supervisor when we were doing our labs there, who's now just retired from Met Aaron. I actually didn't remember that. That's interesting. Other than that, did you get involved in the societies and campus? Or? Yeah, a little bit. Um, it was a bit of a trek out here to get involved in too many of the societies. Obviously, I was involved in MedSoc, used to do quite a number of things with MedSoc, one of which I recall going out usually on a Monday night with a group uh, from the year ahead and behind us uh, going out to the Navin Road. There was a intellectual disability facility there, a residential care. So it was really nice to be able to go out over to the side of the city. I'd end up being um, a medical student in any way, take the bike or the bus, as we always did at the time. And uh, after, after the year then, of course, you moved into the terrace. Uh, what, are your, what are your memories of the terrace in particular? The engineers would do some of the classes there, but we pretty much had the building to ourselves alongside the National Concert Hall. So I suppose the memories, the abiding memories are the anatomy lab there, 
the lecture theatre associated with it, absolutely the green plastic chairs in the restaurant downstairs and the great soggy chips that they had. The library was it was just adjoined and really surrounded the concert hall so you could hear the music. But I'm reminded of the Index Medicus and all of those big books that you had to do to do any bit of, I won't call it research as a medical student, but case reports and so on, where you actually had to go and pull books. Wow, how things have changed. Yeah, it's certainly slightly easier now. What, what about the teachers there? Anyone in particular you, you remember well? Obviously, uh, Professor Coakley. He was yeah. super lecturer. He was, uh, everyone will recall that he was our professor of anatomy. But the notes, and I'd say many of people have them in their attic still, were superb. He had a really clear way of communicating and giving us enthusiasm for, I think, a subject that's difficult to grasp or make interesting. So he was great. Obviously, Professor O'Regan, who was Professor of Physiology, Dr. Bernock in Physiology, they were all really great. Our class was relatively small. We had 125, so you really knew people. And then Professor Clark, of course, in Pathology. I suppose my memory of that is looking down at slides and everything was pink and purple. I'm not too sure if that has changed all that much, probably more markers and all of that, but doing the orals, pass-fail, pass-honours, you know, all of those things, um, the stresses of that. And I suppose one of the other big memories is Newman House, which in the summer was exam hall, and during the winter on a Friday night there were discos on, so uh, it was just around the corner. Everything was really near, really great, innocent times, dancing to the music of the 1980s. Yeah, there's a lot of, lot of nostalgia there for sure. What about microbiology, given your subsequent course? One of the people who inspired me was Professor Irene Hillary. Uh, she was Professor of Medical Microbiology, and there weren't a lot of female professors at the time. I really liked microbiology, but also liked seeing patients. And I thought that, you know, it wouldn't fit for me because infectious diseases as a clinical specialty didn't exist at the time. And so when I graduated and was working in Vincent's, I said that to Professor M.X. Fitzgerald and he said, well, why don't you do ID? And I said, I didn't even know what it was. And he said to talk to this guy in St. Louis, uh, Professor Bill Powderly, uh, which I did. And I guess the rest is history. I ended up uh, working in St. Louis with Bill, who's another UCD graduate of 1979. And, you know, he's been a mentor to me ever since. And I think what it really highlights is the importance of the network that UCD gives you, your ability to reach out to people, not only within Ireland, but across the waters, given that we're in an island, and really be able to make that link and that common language you use as UCD graduates. Yeah, and certainly the focus on ID and the, and the school and the university has grown ever Hugely. since. Hugely. Um, when, when I look back on it, the matter moment where the was the first place that had an ID consultant with uh, Dr. Gerard Sheehan. Then Professor Karina Butler was the second. Karina is another UCD graduate and drove and, and built up paediatric ID. And then I was the third. I took a post down um, in Cork. My mother never thought I'd get a job in Cork because I wasn't from Cork, but I broke the mould there. And, and it's gone from strength to strength. There's over 40 consultants now with very strong um, infectious diseases in UCD, in Vincent's and the matter, is strongest in the country, certainly from a research and training perspective. Yeah, that's a, certainly the case. And uh, 
I suppose going back to leaving the terrace, uh, you you mentioned you you were northside for most of your uh, most of your time as a student. Where where did you do your rotations? I started off in the matter, and my first rotation was with Professor De Valera and Dr. Gallagher, who were the gynaecologists um, at the time, and also did my psychiatry in St. Vincent's and Ballymon uh, with Dr. Dorothy Keelan, who many people will remember as a fantastic teacher of psychiatry, and then did pediatrics in Temple Street and Crumlin uh, with loads of, of fantastic teachers. And lastly, at that time, did um, obstetrics and gynaecology in Hollis Street with uh, Professor Kieran O'Driscoll who had the active management of labour, which uh, many people will remember. So really enjoyed my time, but certainly none of those specialties were for me. Then went back to the matter and completed the rest of my training there. Had really great tutors. I mean, Dr. Dennis Cusick, Mr. Ronan Waldron, just uh, John Kenny, who's one of my colleagues down in Cork, a cardiologist. They were all our medical tutor, uh, medical and surgical tutors. And it was a really nice time. There was about 60 of us in the matter. And we, we knew the class above us as interns and probably the class two below us because we tended to have the same rotations. You, you really get to know the people in a few years above and below you. And to this day, many contacts. Uh, and again, highlighting the importance of that network. You know, medicine, we're a close family. And certainly we're very close in, in the matter and continue to have annual outings with a few of my friends who trained with me there. I mean, obviously, you'd mentioned that it was too early in those years to think about ID because it didn't exist. But uh, did you think you were going into hospital medicine at that point? And I wanted to ask in particular, um, did, you, did you get a bit of exposure to general practice? or Minimal exposure at that time. We did probably about a week. I did it in Glasnevin. I happened to be with uh, the father of a classmate, uh, Ashlyn Campbell's dad was a GP just up the road, road in Fibsburg and that was it. I knew I didn't want to be a general practitioner. I really enjoyed hospital medicine. I particularly enjoyed internal medicine. Uh, I did really well. I'm, I, I can't say it. I came first in the matter and got the Freeman Medal. So I got the professorial jobs there and I knew... I wasn't going to do surgery, it wasn't for me, I'm probably a bit too clumsy anyway with my hands to have done surgery, but really, really enjoyed medicine and I think immersed myself into a really good culture in the matter that how important was caring for patients, the, the ethos that's there, really, really enjoyed that time and stayed on. To do my medical rotation, my first job was with John Lennon and John Crow, both uh, UCT graduates also, and it just took off from there. Really, really enjoyed it and got my exams quickly and made the decision to do infectious diseases, and off I went. Yeah, so uh, you, you did the, uh, I suppose, the, the SHO scheme and had your membership and you did some registrar time. Yeah, SPRs so, didn't exist, I suppose. No, they didn't. So I did two years, um, what they call basic specialty training now, we could just call SHO rotation, in the matter. Then I went to Lachlanstown uh, with Morgan Crow and John Fennell, more UCD graduates, and uh, then to Vincent's with uh, Professor Fitzgerald, and then lastly down to Wexford. I got secured my job in the States at the time, but it wasn't due to start until 1990. So I did one year of medical microbiology 
in St. James's uh, with Professor Connor Keane and Eric Mulvihill, again, two other UCD graduates, um, and then went, took the plane in late June 1990 just at the height of the um, Italia 1990 World Cup. You know, it was a bit daunting at the time because there was no specialty in Ireland. I decided I'd do what I wanted to do and hope that if I was good enough, I'd get a job. At the time, it was going to be in the States to stay there long term. Uh, but thankfully, um, jobs started coming up. So I knew if I was good enough that I would get a job back in Ireland, which I did. But uh, I assume even though you had quite a bit of medical experience, it was probably a culture shock professionally to work in a different system, wasn't it? Totally, personally and professionally, I think. You can get things done a bit quicker when you go into the system over there. But yeah, my goodness, you know, Ireland at the time, people remember in 1980s, it was homogenous, everyone was the same, everyone was from Ireland. So there wasn't a huge amount of diversity. And then all of a sudden, you know, I was cast into the, the diversity, uh, the melting pot that is America, dealing with a lot of HIV AIDS patients that were really sick, often shunned, stigmatized because of poverty or, or sexual preference. Um, so it was a real um, learning experience. I think living away really develops you. Um, you see big picture things, you become tolerant. I, I think you embrace the importance of a diverse society. And I, I was privileged to work over there. I mean, I, it, it was a really bad time for HIV AIDS. At the time, it was the commonest cause of death in men between the ages of 20 and 44. That's how common it was. But really had the privilege of really looking after these people who were ultimately um, would die, many of whom were my age at the time. And then you could see how science totally changed that to where it is today. So it gave you an understanding of the importance of critical thinking, research, and how it impacts on people's daily lives. Yeah, it certainly showed. I mean, I, I suppose you started off doing supportive care, essentially. Exactly. You got a bit of, bit of AZT and, uh, yeah, and exactly. was that for a while? I mean, it was like that for the first four years. Literally, it was like patchwork and people eventually died um, until we figured out to use combination therapy and so on. It is important to be reminded of how bad it was for people at the time and how fortunate we are to care for patients for a disease that used to be fatal and now you just live with it like you do with many other chronic diseases. I think it also showed, didn't it, that uh, if you really put money into something and make an effort, you can make massive progress very quickly. And I, I also, it highlighted the importance of advocacy. As you know, the gay men's groups were really vocal and I think they made a huge impact on ensuring funding was put into research and that's what made the difference. Then I suppose after your fellowship you, you did stay on staff there for a while didn't you? Yeah I was on staff there for three years before returning to Ireland so was very involved with research and the residency training program there. The great thing about the States if you work hard and you integrate you can you know the sky's the limit and I really enjoyed my work there at the time Bill Powderly was there, but a great um, head of department, Jerry Madoff, who who's died a few years back. But he was the type that took foreign medical graduates when many of the other institutions over there wouldn't take them. And it really um, enriched the experience of 
working with people not only from the States but elsewhere. So it was a really nice time. I had my two kids over there, two American St. Louisans. It was an institution and a city that really included. Um, so I really enjoyed my seven years in the States. And coming back then, I, I guess you had to start a service, didn't you? I'm a Kerry woman that crossed the border to go to the Monster Final every second year. And w- win it usually, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rarely went to Cork, cause, you know, went to college in Dublin and that's where we did holidays and so on. So I literally walked into the hospital with nothing at the time, no office, no house staff, no service. Uh, the first thing I got was a secretary, uh, which was really important to have front of house and she was a great person. And then I got the Friday afternoon clinic, which I had for six years until I negotiated um, getting a Wednesday afternoon clinic. Yeah, I just built up the service. It was a bit challenging because I think bringing care for HIV AIDS patients to the area was new. There was fear there still. And my job was to break down that stigma um, so that patients never felt um, ostracized or stigmatized in any way. It was a little bit of a challenge, but in fairness, the um, general manager, CEO of the hospital, Tony McNamara, was hugely supportive. So I built up the service, got the secretary, finally got an office. I mean, this will sound familiar to many people who work in the hospital coming back to Ireland. Got a registrar and then built up the service slowly. I was always of the view that I'd take whatever was, you know, take the bits and pieces that come your way rather than waiting for the Big Bang and getting everything because that never happens. Um, Yeah, I've gradually built up the service to where it is now. So I have four colleagues, clinical nurse specialists, pharmacy and offices, which is always a key thing. Um, So, yeah, it was a journey. I was 15 years single-handed and half that time I was academic. So I think you just put the head down and eventually you know, the service just evolves. So, you know, it's nice to see what has been built up. And I've got great colleagues, uh, three of whom I I train. So um, I think it's it's in a good place. And when when did you get the bandwidth to get more involved with UCC? At some stage you moved it towards the medical school. Yeah, so Professor Fergus Shanahan was Professor of Medicine in UCC. Again, another UCD graduate who's fantastic researcher. The opportunity came up for senior lecturer in the Department of Medicine. So I was uh, successfully interviewed for that. So I got involved there in uh, 05, so about eight years into my life in Cork. And then the uh, director of graduate entry program came up a few years later and successfully interviewed for that. And then in 2013, I successfully interviewed for Dean of the Medical School and really enjoyed a great four-year tenure there where I would have met yourself on various uh, committees, both deans at the same time um, in different institutions. A four-year term was the the normal term there. Um, Did did you consider doing it again or were you ready for other things? Yeah, I think I was ready for other things at the time. The president of the Royal College of Physicians was coming up. You know, it's a competitive process. So I decided I'd throw my hat in the ring and was successfully elected by my peers, which was a proud moment for me. So it was was easy for me at the time to, you know, finish up as dean of the medical school and transition to being the president of the College of Physicians and try to influence 
things like education, training, advocacy in what is Ireland's largest postgraduate medical training and professional body. And again, it was a first in its long history. I think we we were talking earlier, I think back to the 1600s, they hadn't had a female president. Yeah, since 1654. Um, and the other achievement was I was the first Kerry person. Yeah, which is a greater achievement. It's a hard, to, it's a toss there. <laughs> you also, of course, uh, I think uniquely in modern times anyway, we're one of the first, if not the first, to have two terms. Is that right? Yes. The pandemic came. Obviously, it was, it was really uh, busy. It was good, I think, for the college to have an infectious disease person as president. Right. So the opportunity came to put myself forward for re-election. Uh, and I was re-elected. The last time that happened was in the late 1800s. So again, privileged to have been elected by my peers for a second term. Yeah, and I think the College of Physicians has, uh, you know, evolved and become stronger during my tenure. And certainly, obviously, as you said, the, the, the second term, I suppose, was dominated somewhat by, by COVID. Um, but looking back on the, the, the two terms, I mean, what were the kind of things you wanted to achieve and how, how did it go? I suppose one of the main things was to have people recognise what the College of Physicians was. I think the pandemic allowed that because many of the... People who were involved in it at a senior level uh, were part of our college because we have public health medicine, we have microbiology, we have paediatrics and, and Karina Butler um, headed NIAC, which is under the umbrella of the College of Physicians. So I think that recognition by healthcare professionals, but also the public about the important work we do as a college in training and educating doctors so that they can provide the best of medical care. I also felt that we needed to have a global recognition and we've done that by expanding our training programs very much like the universities do in training um, undergraduates. We do it at a postgraduate level. So building up that um, high quality training, not just in Ireland, but in other jurisdictions like the Gulf, expanding our education portfolio. And I think the pandemic allowed us to do that because we had to pivot really quickly so that we had to get information, up-to-date information rapidly to a wide audience of practitioners. And we did that through webinars, but using our network, the UCD network, the network that I have through the European Society of Clinical Microinfectious Diseases allowed us to bring people in virtually to really disseminate information really quickly. We also had to change the way we did exams during the pandemic. We had no choice, brought in remote invigilation. We were the first medical college in Ireland and the UK to do that. And interestingly, it's, it's a UCD spin-off company in UCD Nova called TestReach that um, are the providers, and that's really worked well. I think we all know how all the bad things about the pandemic, but it allowed us as a fairly conservative college to be able to innovate and change things and do things rapidly, which would have taken us years to do otherwise. Financially, we're in, in a really good place, which allows us to cross-subsidise other activities like education and training and advocacy. And certainly, uh, on a, so, so many levels, you were involved in many, in many ways with the, the pandemic response. But I noticed as well, you, you were also involved with sporting organisations. That's right. The first 
One, I got a call from Professor Aina Falvi. Aina is the medical director of World Rugby. Um, he asked me, would I do a return to play strategy and protocols for World Rugby? So four of us, two of us in Ireland, one from the UK and one from Australia, came up with the first return to play in April 2020. So it was really quickly after the pandemic um, was declared. And on foot of that, the GEA asked me to be involved in their COVID advisory group. They were absolutely fantastic. They were really responsive. And when we had to change protocols frequently, we did that. And I think my big achievements there, probably my biggest one, was getting kids get back to cool camps in June of 2020. At that time, the evidence showed that kids weren't getting sick, really, and that it was outdoor activity. So I took a punt and said, I really think you should get kids back. And that worked out. We got about a little over 70,000 kids back to play, which was good for them. But I also think it was great for the parents getting kids um, out of the house again. Sports is so important uh, for the well-being, not only of the, those that participate, but also the audience like me, um, who really enjoy it. So for me, it was a privilege to be able to be involved with the GEA who do, and I got an insight, and it's not just about sports, it's about the community and how much they did uh, throughout the pandemic, really to try to normalise things when in, in a time that was, was difficult for everybody. Yeah, certainly, it's a, I mean, it's been a huge relief to get back to, to normal. Uh, ho- hopefully it's going to stay that way this winter. We'll, we're all got our fingers crossed. Hopefully. With infectious diseases, it's all about monitoring and, surve- um, and surveillance and being able to respond. And I hope that we've all learned something, that we don't go back to the old ways of things that we used to do that probably weren't the, the healthiest. Um, so I think it's just continuing to monitor. I think UCD should be particularly proud of the amount of research that came from this institution that contributed to our knowledge of COVID, uh, Professor Paddy Mallon and the All-Ireland Infectious Disease cohort and, and Paddy's group have contributed hugely to uh, global knowledge on COVID-19. And Professor Alistair Nicholl, fantastic, worked really closely with his network of intensivists. And they're just two examples. Um, It goes beyond that into veterinary, public health and so on. Um, And the importance of really building up the research infrastructure, because while we're a small country, we certainly can contribute hugely to uh, the global knowledge by using the networks that we have. It seems like the pandemic preparedness is going to be better uh, in the future based on some of the work that was done. But I, I think there's a bit of complacency perhaps as well. About I it. think so. I think it's, it's important that we get prepared for the next one. The playbook will never be perfect, but we do need a playbook um, on how do we roll out vaccines again? How do we uh, do testing the importance of trusting the population uh, when it comes to testing, like with antigen testing, and understanding that we have a very educated population in Ireland and that we need to trust them with the information we give them. I think they really did step up to the plate. I think it's important that we do prepare for future health threats, um, not only infectious diseases, but other things like climate change. Um, We do need to have a national strategy that's not just based on health alone, but should look at the socioeconomic impacts and the influence behaviour has on how we deal with health crisis or health 
uh, threats that come in the future. And it's not just one, it needs to be cross-sectoral um, to maintain, you know, you have a healthy economy equals a healthy population. And I, I wonder what, what you think about, uh, with, with all your experience in these organisations and, and with the pandemic itself, I mean, every country is still struggling with, do they need to do formal reviews of, of what, what was done or should they focus on really looking at the obvious and, and preparing for the next ones? In my opinion, you should look forward, learn from a few of the lessons um, during the pandemic, but plan for the future. I think look back, you know, spend a lot of time soul searching in a time that was very difficult, that you had to make decisions quickly. What I think is important is there are things that could have been done differently, which is always clear in hindsight. Um, but take those pieces and build on what the plan is for the future. And I think that's where we should be going. Not one country in the world did this perfectly. You might hear that they did, but they didn't. Uh, the pandemic had, had an impact on the population of every country, often different ways with different policies. What would be nice is to pick all the good parts from the major, major countries and uh, bring those together. I think it's also important to recognise that we really are a global village and we learned a huge amount from our nearest neighbours um, because they had really good research and surveillance infrastructure. And I think the importance also of looking into mainland Europe and really having those connections so you can get things done very quickly um, by listening to others working together as, as a European bloc. I think that's absolutely essential. There's no point in duplicating things when you know it's going to happen 10 days later in Ireland and building up, you know, without too much bureaucracy on a lot of the informal ad hoc arrangements that were made really made a huge difference. Very good and uh, well, well said. Um, let's, let's switch directions a little bit. How do you manage your work-life balance? Uh, that's a good question. I like to work hard. I won't say I like to party hard, but I do like my time off. I've got great family support and uh, got great friends, uh, both in Ireland and abroad. I do like to holiday and we go down to uh, Portugal a few times a year and really enjoy the peace and quiet of being able to sit and um, read, uh, walk and all of that. Yeah, I'm pretty good at doing it. I have no problem working hard. I enjoy it. But I also like to do all the nice social things that are important for well-being. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't think there's a perfect recipe. It's, it's very in, individual how people do that work-life balance. So, it sounds like you should have access to a lot of match tickets. Do you go to a lot of sporting events? I do. Obviously, Monster, there's a connection there. Kerry Games... I shouldn't talk about the recent All-Ireland because I was fortunate enough to be in the Ord Corley box about four rows behind where I hoped Kerry would receive the Sam Maguire again in 2023. That wasn't to be. So when the final whistle went, I zoomed out of the place. But really enjoy, I really enjoy sports. I, I love watching live sports. I think it's great. I, I, you know, the amount of fitness and effort people, whether professionally or amateur sports people, they're just, their commitment is amazing. What about uh, other entertainment? What about books, films, music, anything else you'd recommend? I like to read, but I tend only to read when I'm on a holiday. I just don't get around to it. I read a great book recently called Trust, when the Pulitzer Prize is really well written. I like going to the movies. I like the Netflix series, particularly the BBC ones. I think they're so well done. 
and a, a touch of Bridgerton every now and then and really find, if I'm doing long-haul flights, how great downloading a series is. All of a sudden, you go from Dublin and you're in New York and you've watched the whole series. It's great. You mentioned, uh, you mentioned 80s music. Is that where you're still focused? Yeah, love 80s music. Every time I hear Dexie's Midnight Runners, I just think of hopping around Newman House at the discos. Very good. That's some nostalgia there. Do you have anything left on your bucket list? I suppose I've been a person that's evolved my career all the time. I've taken all the opportunities that have come. So I'm delighted to be coming full circle right back to UCD and the matter, uh, having been just appointed Professor of Infectious Diseases at the two institutions. The matter has strong family links for me. So not only did my aunts um, and one uncle train there, but my mother and sister are matter nurses and my two brothers also did medicine and they did training up in the matter too. So the only person in the fa- our family of six, um, my father was a teacher in, in, in Tralee. He's the only one that had never worked in the matter. So really strong links. So I'm delighted to be starting back in the matter. And we're, we're all certainly looking forward to that. Uh, and obviously you've, you've lots to do still, but... Um is it too early to start thinking about your legacy? What, what would you like to leave behind you? Well, I'll be moving from Cork to Dublin. My legacy there was actually, you know, founding, developing and expanding the infectious disease service so patients could get care locally. So I think that's for me, is a big legacy. And in UCC, really having a strong graduate entry programme doing innovative things when I was dean there by doing a lot of collaboration with the business school. Um, In the College of Physicians, I think my legacy there will be just being bold and innovative and building on what my predecessors have done and really increasing the brand recognition for all the great work that's done in the college. And in UCD, it's just really nice to be back here. I mean, the campus has changed so much since since I was here. I just looking out there and see the science building, but everything else around me, other than where the public health building is, that this is all new. Yeah, it's great to be part of a university that really is expanding and really the sky's the limit. I mean, look at all the cranes around. Yeah, really looking so forward to that. Matters going the same way, it's developing Absolutely. massively. When I met with my great colleagues up there and, and the CEO, Alan Sharp, and really highlighting the long link UCD and the matter have back since 1861, it's really important that that link is maintained and, and strengthened and having the vision to expand further uh, UCD's presence, both in person, but also the um, infrastructure there, I think is really important. Certainly, we're all looking forward to, to seeing that. Maybe just to, to finish up, and uh, first of all, I've, I've had a very interesting conversation with you, and I'm delighted you, you did this. Uh, but just as a finishing piece of advice, if you could talk to yourself as a 24-year-old, what, what would you give as a single piece of advice? I would say follow your dreams. No pathway is without bumps on the road. They're learning points and they just make you stronger. But if you want to do something, be determined. I think it's important to get support, obviously support at home from family and friends, but also mentorship is really important. And I think it's UCD has such a broad network that serves really well when you're looking at career options. 
So follow the dream. Well, Mary, thanks for that, that great advice. And uh, I'm sure it'll be well taken by many others. Um, and thanks again for coming in and talking to us today. You're welcome. <laughs>